This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 14th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. As Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac face perhaps more scrutiny than ever before, just how did the relationship between the feds and these two companies become so close? Cato Institute senior fellow Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, tells us. The story starts in the Depression, when and when housing prices collapse and mortgages uh, were in foreclosure, and uh, the federal government created the Federal National Mortgage Association in February of 1938, and it was charged with creating a national market uh, for home mortgages, and the reason it needed to do that was because there were restrictions on interstate banking so that banks could not do that. And as this really comes into prominence after World War II, when California starts to starts to grow, and the savings is back east and the demand for capital is out west, and because we had a 50-state non-national banking system, it was difficult for uh, the writers of mortgages in California to get the capital to fund those because under the rules of banking, uh, particularly for savings banks, which were also created in the Depression, in order savings banks by law had to have 80% of their assets, i.e. mortgages, in, um, in mortgages that were within 50 to 60 miles of the bank in question. And so you have this extremely segment, segmented housing capital market. And in effect, Fannie Mae was the thing that created a national market, which would have been done by banks had banks been not been regulated to have prevented that. It was on budget until the 60s, and then in 1968 it was privatized to get its obligations off the federal books uh, because it was adding to the federal deficit at that time in the Vietnam War and in, and the pressures to borrow for that and Johnson's attempt to, President Johnson's attempt to look fiscally uh, conservative, which was the surtax for the Vietnam War and getting rid of Fannie Mae on the federal books. Also, they wanted to create competition, whatever that means. So we created two of them at that time. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, were created in, in, in the late 60s and early 70s. And they do the same thing and they, quote, compete with each other, unquote. So we don't have a monopoly in government-sponsored enterprises. We have a duopoly. And that somehow we're all better off because there's competition, even though economists think actually it makes things probably worse. Those companies have a strange relationship with the federal government. What is that? They are government-sponsored enterprises. Uh, they are chartered by Congress as opposed to, they're not chartered under the corporate laws of states, so it's not a Delaware corporation or New York State corporation. They are federal corporations, and actually they're the only federal corporations because the federal government doesn't charter other corporations. They have an explicit borrowing, uh, uh, they have a line of credit with the Treasury uh, that's in the, $3 billion range, so that's an explicit link that they, if they need to, they can borrow money from the Treasury without asking and without receiving permission. Um, but the more important uh, link they have with the government is that investors think that if they were to get into trouble, that the Congress would bail them out. And thus, 
what they pay on the capital markets, what these GSEs pay for capital on the capital markets, is less than private institutions pay um, because the risk is perceived by investors to be less. This allows, um, this in effect allows Fannie Mae and Ginnie Mae and Freddie Mac to take risks that private um, entities would probably not take. They are also less capitalized than banks. Banks have anywhere from 6 to 10% capital uh, on reserve. Uh, the government-sponsored enterprises have only 3 or 4 So what's ironic about the current discussion of the subprime market didn't work, and we now have to, in effect, uh, allow... The, these GSEs to take on more risk is, is is that they already take on more risk than private banks would. And we're now, Congress is asking, in effect, these entities to take on additional risk at a time when housing prices are declining and thus the risks they face are uh, greater than they were. And um, some analysts worry about a kind of SNL-like um, failure, like savings and loan banks did in the in the early '80s. In effect, these are they borrow short, they lend long. That's what savings banks did. And when interest rates changed and capital markets preference for risk changes, and they have to roll over the short-term debt, it's possible that the, the income they're getting on their mortgages. Um, then is less than uh, the interest cost they have to pay to roll over the short-term debt. And that's when you, as we say, lose on every sale and try to make it up on volume. And in effect, you're bankrupt, which is what the SNLs uh, were in the 80s. And we're all crossing our fingers that this does not happen again to them. They, the, uh, it, uh, just to, to say what their advocates say for them, is that they have uh, sophisticated derivatives and swaps that they have made by contract with other, the euphemism in the, in the banking world is called counterparties. That is, they have, quote, insured the risk of default with other co counterparties through these uh, swaps and derivatives that they have, uh, have written. So it's not just simply that if they roll over the debt and the interest rates rise because investors are more scared of these things than they used to be, and then they, in effect, have to pay out more in interest than they're getting on the fixed-rate mortgages that they have lent. They then, if they get below water, they would invoke these contracts that they would have written. Then the question becomes, would those people that they have written the contracts with, would they default? And so on and so on. And the they, um, they have commissioned... Uh, private firms to study their risk behavior and the risk structure and, and all of that. And um, those reports are largely private. None of us, I don't have access to them. I've known some of the people that have worked on them. And they say that they're not as bad as some people worry and they're worse than other people think. And so um, there's no clear picture on whether these private, in effect, insurance contracts are good enough to, to hold water when they need to. This would seem to be an inopportune time to tell Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac for Congress to essentially say, uh, you are now a private uh, corporation. You're no longer incorporated through Congress. You're a private firm. Your investors can make their decisions about risks of value of, of, of your assets uh, as they will. What's the regulatory fix then? There isn't any. I mean, uh, the... 
The journal I edit for Cato Regulation, we've run a number of articles in, the, in my tenure there in which analysts of all persuasions have argued that the explicit line of credit to the Treasury should be terminated, and that would kind of wake investors up. And then again, this was during the boom of the 2000s. Economists argued this was the time to, in effect, privatize, really privatize uh, these GSEs and try to get the market to be more aware of the risks they have and to get um, the house in order so that when bad stuff happens, uh, we don't have to deal with it then when it's much when we're much less able and we have many fewer degrees of freedom. So yes, this is not a great time to try to um, uh, reform these enterprises. And the intellectual groundwork for doing so was all laid out by Cato and others over the years, and it has had uh, no effect on, on, the, on the instructions that Congress uh, has given these agencies. Cato Institute Senior Fellow Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. You can subscribe to Regulation at Cato.org.